0: Hello beautiful souls, welcome to Spots of Time with Caroline, a place for conversation and inspiration with fascinating humans all bound together by a love and or practice of poetry. Let's get deep, get real, get weird, get inspired. Everyone is welcome. I love you all. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Spots of Time with Caroline. I am so freaking excited because I have a remarkable guest tonight, and she is just a multi-talented, multi-disciplinary artist, a consummate artist, I would say, because she has so many modes that she works and excels in. She's joining us from sunny LA tonight (laughs) and it's Vanessa Angelica Villarreal. Vanessa was born in the Rio Grande Valley to Mexican immigrants. She is the author of the award-winning collection Beast Meridian from Noemi Press. She is the recipient of a 2019 Whiting Award, a Kate Tufts Discovery Award nomination, and winner of the John A. Robertson Award for Best First Book of Poetry from the Texas Institute of Letters. Her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, Oxford American, Poetry, The Cut, The Nation, and elsewhere. She is a recipient of a 2021 National Endowment for the Arts Poetry Fellowship, which congratulations, I this is the first time I was learning of that, that's really exciting. And she's a, doctor, a doctoral candidate in English literature and creative writing at the University of Southern California where she is working on a poetry and nonfiction collection while raising her son in Los Angeles. And that essay collection is forthcoming from Tiny Reparations Books, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House next year. And wow, she does it all. Oh, my goodness. And also, you know, before all this, these accolades and she she knew me as just, you know, weirdo little Caroline and in our MFA program in Boulder, Colorado. And that's how I know her. And I am so lucky to know her.
1: Like, you came from the prairie in, like, a patchwork dress. That's not how it was. I totally looked up to you. I was just like, you were a year ahead, and you wrote these, like, super haunted poems that were sometimes, like, brooding songs, and you were just, like, like my goth idol. Like, I was just like, uh, I have to befriend this girl. Like, I have to befriend this, like, mysterious ghost of a person um, like, like in like a, a sexy way anyway you're a sexy goth
0: anyway Aww. yeah so well, that is very nice I strive to be a sexy ghost in all things <laughs> I mean I've been a ghost in a lot of things but yes aren't we all well oh goodness did you know yeah it's also like a full moon tonight right? Right. Yeah. And it's and it's the Aquarius full moon. And And that's you. That's
1: me. And it's a super super moon. So I have been just like, a mess of like, feelings. And like, so I actually like reading poetry to like prepare for today's podcast with you has been like really grounding so I'm very grateful for it because otherwise I'd just be a, like on in a heap on the floor just, oh, you
0: know. I'm so I'm so happy to hear that because yeah it I mean that's kind of the amazing power of of reading poetry sometimes that it just kind of brings you back to whatever earth this is but and whatever earth we can inhabit but that's that kind of kicks off I, I just would love for you to share because first of all I just want to shine the light on you're brilliant and i want i love i love you <laughs> so i know that our audience after they hear your story and your journey will also fall in love with you and so <laughs> I I always make it sound so, uh, it's not as creepy. I'm not as creepy. I am in this like weird blue light, though, that I was also going (laughs) to ask you before we started recording, like, should I like turn off the blue, like, like haunted house lights? But it's very dark in here.
1: Yeah, no, it just (laughs) amplifies the goth, like, you know, like the black light in your room. Yeah, it's basically like an old,
0: like, 90s black light. I just not get those, like, the stars you did you probably had the stars on your ceiling too right like those like gl- like absolutely
1: they're still there yeah they're still there and my dad sits in my childhood bedroom and he's like you know the stars are still there they're like from oh. the 90s
0: they're 30
1: year old star stickers like
0: I have mean staying power. they just that's what I was gonna say like those 90s <laughs> toys you know they definitely have staying power oh god <laughs> Well, let's talk about your journey to poetry. Yeah. So I
1: was always just like the super weird kid. I was an only child for a long time. I didn't have a sibling until I was 13. But yeah, I was always just kind of the weirdo. And I think the, the sort of cultural shock that comes from living in, you know, the borderland area, being driven across to Mexico to stay with my godparents while my parents worked to, you know, coming to Houston and losing my grandmother to cancer pretty unexpectedly. All of those things like, were this like, sort of trauma catalyst (laughs) that took you know, my, my already sort of like weird kid tendencies and turn them inward. And I think a lot of the way that I dealt with the grief of losing my grandmother, which, you know, in, I think like marginalized and immigrant families, like the grandmother figure is like, It's like losing a parent, right? Like very early. So she basically raised me because my mom was, you know, working so much. I, I started channeling, you know, that grief through like these little poetic utterances. And I would draw pictures to sort of correspond and in the fifth grade, they sort of picked up on this, this thing I was doing and they helped me put it together in a book. And I think it's still in the library in, <laughs> in this oh, elementary cool. school. But yeah, so I, I started writing poetry, at, I think at like 10 years old, like in earnest. And I wrote some very, very, very bad angsty poems and, you know, middle school about crushes I had and, you know, negotiating queer identity and racial identity. And I also was like very rebellious. So I got into a lot of trouble. And I think like when you feel super persecuted, you know, by the man, which I, which I was right. Like I yeah. got super like o- overly punished in the Texas school system. I was almost like one of those, like straight to drop out. I almost dropped out. Like it was, it was a really tough time in middle school and high school but poetry is the only thing that could ground me it was the only thing that could like that could bring me back to myself and that I excelled in that made it so that I couldn't be disposable you know so that's kind of my journey to poetry I think in my 20s I had to like sort of get real and start working. So I abandoned, I didn't, I never abandoned the practice, but I abandoned the idea of becoming a poet. I worked a lot of just like retail and service jobs, a lot of like just minimum wage jobs. And I was about to give up on it until I went back to school. I was like, I I can't do these jobs anymore. I was working like, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. So I decided to go back to school and I was going to go back for an MBA. I was like, okay, I'm going to do something mm-hmm. like, you know, useful that, you know, business, I don't know, I'll do marketing. I I have that I can do that. Okay. So I couldn't do that. I couldn't hang with it for more than like, <laughs> literally 20 minutes. So yeah. So yeah. I was really lucky in that even though I went to mostly community colleges before that, I ended up in the University of Houston, which has a really, really wonderful master's and PhD creative writing program. So as an undergrad, I had exposure to graduate students and like the sort of culture of poetry. And yeah, I think like, that's how, like peers were like, you, you need to just choose this and you need to just do this because like, you have to do it. (laughs) So I applied, you know, I think like, four or five grad schools and I ended up in Boulder and that's where we met. And yeah, but it was like such a crooked journey that I never intended to walk. But, you know, there's like something that steers you back when, yeah, you know, you're in survival mode. Right. And very often for for folks who are sort of in tune, I think that thing is art. Right. I think and however it, it manifests. So. Mm.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's an, an, I mean, that's an incredible, you're incredible. (laughs) You, I mean, undergoing all that you have had to, have had to deal with growing up. And so much of this, this trauma is, is you explore in your book, Beast Meridian. And it, I mean, rereading that, I was kind of mentioning before we we started recording that it's just, I feel it so deeply in every part of my body, like the, the pain that, and that whole journey and that, you know, the, the difficulties you endured growing up in the spaces you had to navigate so much more difficult than, than most Americans. And that, you know, you, you might've had this I mean, I think a lot of artists as well, we have an idea of like, well, our art is, is, is one thing, and we have to go on and kind of put that aside. And, you know, we have to, we have to exist in society as these, you know, as more of the logical, put, put that mind away and, and be logical and practical. And, you know, you have to, if you're in survival mode for, for however many years it takes but you you did have this in you that you were able to go back to and it's it, it pulled you back I mean you had you know it, like the stars aligned I would say that you <laughs> were able to have this this opportunity to to find it again and it you know it led you to well I I I'm lucky that to have met you <laughs> through it and of course it's it's difficult when you're you have this kind of pure relationship with an art form and it was your kind of survival mechanism and 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 then you but then you want to go on to to study it professionally and you you go into you know more of a professional program like a grad program and I think you and I and some of our other cohort kind of did feel more pressure in, in in rather than it kind of being this pure therapeutic, you know, way of of viewing the world and putting it back together for our own through our own traumas, it was like, well, well now we have to we have to like be professional about it like any other industry, right? Like even like a business, you know, you didn't want to get an MBA, but <laughs> it's the it's the same kind of like I don't know. you know what I'm trying to say? Kind of like it, it, yeah. it became more professionalized. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, I, I think we came in sort of expecting this, like, pure creative experience. commune. <laughs> Yeah, like, Like, which, you know, I think we really tried to build and we succeeded in in a lot of ways, but it was not because of the school. It was because of us. I would say it's because of
0: you. (laughs) Like, I I grant you so much for being such a connector and, and a provider of that community that we all craved, but we were too either scared or just not in our, not confident enough in ourselves and in our work or in our, like what, why we were there to do that. And you were really like a, a great connector for everyone. And that is another superpower that you have. And <laughs> it's, <laughs>
1: I just want to thank you. I yeah I think like when I got to Colorado it was so different from Houston where Mm. like you just like encounter these these politics that are so Mm. confrontational and that are so ready to strip people of their humanity and like it just feels like in texas you're just like or at least for me in my neighborhood and and where i grew up you're just constantly like running into the state you're running into cops you're running into Mm. like scarcity and lack and boulder is a fantasy land it is a (laughs) it's a fucking bubble bubble. oh my god i was i was like really alienated by that but when i stepped foot into the graduate program I think like when you felt so alienated your whole life and you've never been able to really fit in and you like and you know part of part of it is like you know your your many identities but part of it is also like poets are weird right like yeah, we're, just, like, we're really all super
0: weird, weird.
1: <laughs> super weird like people we don't know how to hang out with us and we don't know how to chill so like exactly and it,
0: yeah and we're I all can, like you know From all over the country and brought together.
1: Exactly. And like, I came in and everyone was a total weirdo. And like, the conversation (laughs) was super awkward. And I was like, I'm home. I'm home. This is, (laughs) 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 even though the conversations were awkward and, and they were also like super interesting and they would like go from like zero to a hundred, you know, like in the space of like 10 seconds, because we were all. Just these language nerds, and we were yeah. so interested in like language and culture and film and like, you know, the way that we could fire off jokes because we're so like in touch with language. The oh, yeah. like 65 yeah. inside jokes we had going at all times. Uh, like I know the puns. It's like we were able to like tap into the puns were incredible. Like we were able to tap into our own our own shorthands, our own language. Like if I say Steve Dib yeah. on this podcast, <laughs> the only people <laughs> that will understand it, right, are oh you, me, and like a, a, few, a few listeners. Yeah. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just felt so lucky to be around my weirdos finally. And like sometimes it, it didn't, you know, work out. Like I wasn't able to like get everyone together or, you know, whatever. But I just felt like, this is, this is the first time I've ever belonged and I'm going to do like everything I can to, to experience that, you know? So I think like, it was like the first time I was like truly happy. I think like (laughs) the me you knew in Boulder, I was like, it was like my first time, like in college, like having like the college experience. So I was actually like a freshman, you know, going to like <laughs> the parties and stuff. Like, I was behaving this way because I just felt so freed from yeah. my prior circumstances. Um, right. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I think that's I feel what kind of I, I partied. <laughs> Sorry. I did, I partied way more in grad school than I ever did in college, which is, you know, it was, it was, there were, it, it was an interesting time, but I, I totally understand. Like, we, we were kind of, we were all isolated and then we all came together as our weird selves and we able to create our own, our own world within the bubble of Boulder, but like maybe outside of it, but yeah, creating our own language. And, and I'm glad that I'm glad to know that you felt free there, you know, eventually. And once we like got <laughs> comfortable with everybody and you're, I mean, what was beast Meridian were, I mean, many of those poems, was that part of, was that like, were you working on those poems in grad school or did it, did it become, was it part of partially in grad school and then partially out or was it mostly all in there?
1: Beast Meridian was my thesis. It was a very different Uh, book. It was like a hybrid of like essays and poems and lyric essays and like fragments. But it became what it became after grad school. But all of the material I wrote in grad school, there are only just like a few new poems. But yeah, Yeah. I I think like Boulder is like the first time I really experienced nature in Houston. It's actually a huge problem. Like aren't really like hiking trails or like you know, nature areas. And if there Mm -hmm. are, they're just like really inaccessible or like that's where they put like the state prison or like, you know, just it's, it's a different experience. And also like the humidity and heat is just, it makes it really hard. I should say in East Texas in West Texas, they have beautiful parks, but in Boulder, I think like being able to connect with the land and like be with nature in like this, spiritual way and like reconnect with plants and you know see random animals it was just so it it just opened I think like something that had been longing for that kind of language you know Mm. but like Houston as an environment wasn't was limiting and so like being in nature and like being able to commune with it it just like taps into new images, new image systems, new symbolic systems, like, and also, like, we were, like, I remember Noah giving this lecture that was just, like, straight up, like, semiotic theory, like, it was straight mm-hmm. up, like, post-structuralist <laughs> theory, and, like, we were just trafficking in these, like, huge ideas, and, yeah. you know, that, like, s- form of focus and, like, concentration, it just changes your language, it intensifies it, so, yeah, I, I really like, I'm grateful for my grad school experience, you know, now granted, I have my criticisms.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Me too. It's okay. Yeah. Like, I, I have, I,
1: there, there were issues with like race and whiteness and Mm -hmm. class and, you know, but I wasn't going to let that change my work or affect my work you know it was like i felt like it was like my one shot to like write the book i wanted to write so i'm i'm grateful for that
0: that's amazing well you wrote a hell of a book because i i mean it is so powerful and i can see i mean just the reassembly of you're trying to reassemble your your childhood but also your your ancestors, like the, like, as you say, like the ghosts of the migration kind of reanimate them through this kind of reassembled language. And it's, you do it in such a, haunting is too easy of a word. It's, it's, it's like, it's transformative. I mean, we were talking about Paul Salon kind of recreating the German after after the Holocaust and uh, being a, you know, a poet of, of devastation, trauma, violence, and, you know, you, you you're kind of recreating language in that way too. And just reanimating, reassembling in this beautiful, just visceral way. And then also your use of the bestiary. And I, I wanted to ask you about like, I think that's so not bestiality, everyone. Like bestier. I, I mean, that's really powerful too, because you were mentioning like your, your reconnection with with nature in Colorado, and, and I've, honestly, like I, I don't get out much these days, and I'm living in the swamps, and basically all I do is like talk to squirrels, spiders, and snakes, <laughs> and I totally. <don't> <laughs> <That's good> company. <laughs> I mean, honestly, it, but it is amazing. I mean, yeah. So I really. It, it it's very it's a very powerful form and and how it's within the, these other these other structures and forms of the book I mean it's won a ton of awards well deserved because it's it's that good would you be willing to read a po- poem from the book or would you like to read a different
1: yeah. poem yes but I I want to talk about Salon first because
0: oh yeah
1: <laughs> sure no yeah so so i i actually really wish salon was like a sort of spiritual guide or presence and i think maybe like in like the sort of collective unconscious all poets who have passed are but Mm. i wasn't engaging with salon in in
0: the way that like you were but you know he was a romanian jew like me (laughs) that's not probably why he's just i mean i don't know but
1: i think like I think like when I graduated and, you know, got the book under my belt, I was really like craving reading something like non-narrative poems and fragments. It it just, I think, you know, when the book was released uh, literally on my publication day is the day that my husband ended our marriage, like the box arrived and then, and then, yeah. So like, I wasn't, able to think in like complete sentences. I wasn't able to like locate myself in space. Something really strange happened to like my consciousness where I felt like I didn't exist. I had to like check that I still existed in mirrors. Mm-hmm. Like it it was wow. like a really strange because like, you know, the person that you've been with for 10 years becomes a stranger and then you realize that you you never knew them all along, right? And there yeah. were things happening that I was unaware of. And so when your reality breaks, your language breaks, right? And so Salon was like, you know, those like little fragments, the little breath turns, right, were like what were able to anchor me. It was just like I was craving something small that gave me what a, what a, you know, a proper poem, a long poem, a crafted poem could. And, you know, poets like Susan Howe and stuff, but I... Solana in particular became like that sort of lighthouse and then I mm-hmm. you know started reading like the introductory material and he has this speech called meridians oh, and yeah. yeah and he calls his meridian January 20th which is my birthday so <laughs> I knew it was, it was your part, birthday it was like you know the Keanu Reeves and like the matrix where like you know it's just like <laughs> oh <Whoa>, shoot yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just like wait What is happening? So I read through it. And, you know, Salon, after surviving, you know, the Holocaust, wrote in this uncanny German, right? Because Mm -hmm. German is like the language that of the of the oppressor. It's the language of the state. It's the language of propaganda and corruption and, 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 you know, doublespeak. So German became unreliable, right? And so Mm. he broke it and made a new German that was more true, even though I think he spoke French. His like, named a Salon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And like that spoke to me so much because like that's, that's the experience, right. Of, of learning English, you know, when you enter school after being like steeped in a Spanish speaking household. And so it like, and his idea of the meridian, right. Like the, the loop that goes around the world is like, is like when you are displaced, right? Like the Jewish diaspora is mm-hmm. chronically, like the sense of homelessness, the sense mm-hmm. of placelessness, displacement, yeah. dispossession is very embodied. So you are always trying to locate yourself and you're always alienated from home. And so right. the, the poem is the meridian, right? Where you like mm-hmm. find your your one spot on the planet where you know you are at that moment and then in like a year right you can you can come back and it's the same spot but you're you're different right yeah. but at least you can trust that cycle you can trust and so like it was just like a, a new way of reading the concept of the meridian wow. that was able to like orient me because I was thinking of a meridian in a different way. Right. It's a beast meridian. I'm, I was thinking of doubleness, right? Like Mm -hmm. encountering your animal self in nature, encountering your shadow self that has been colonized out of you, encountering Mm -hmm. ancestral collective knowledge, imagining a history that feels actually more like a memory. And so I like beast meridian. If you think of like, bestiaries and the way that like it can it can be very much about like animals and it can also be about chimeras and Mm -hmm. like these hybrid creatures like centaurs and you know I was thinking about how the border is embodied right like you you have your American self and your Mexican self or you know your American self and your you know whatever like whatever your other sort of identity is that border becomes embodied and so like yeah, I was just thinking about, like, I don't know, navigating that border that becomes embodied. But, I, you know, I love his idea of the meridian as well. I think there are just so many
0: ways to think about the meridian. Yeah, that's so, so fascinating. I was going to ask you about how, all of the different ways to think about the meridian. In your book, there is the beast, the the animal self, the the shadow self. The ancestral self that 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 you embody through memory, the but child, yeah, that's, self, the, the child, self. Self. Yes, 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 and all of those you capture each so well in this work. And but that's an interesting. I didn't know that salon speech, and that it becomes the meridian is the the orienting. That's the anchor. The poem is is the meridian itself between all of these all of these forms, all of these selves and and otherness and that can kind of ground you in your authentic self as we, I I guess we could (laughs) call it.
1: Um, He used to date all his poems because his poems were almost like record keeping, you know, and especially like when you survive fascism, right? Like (sighs) you can't trust written material to be archival. So, you know, poems became this thing that was record keeping, right? And like, there's this wonderful quote, it says, We're going to be concerned then with the date as a cut or incision which the poem bears in its body like a memory, like at times several memories in one, the mark of a provenance, of a place and of a time. To speak of an incision or cut is to say that the poem is entered into, that it begins in the wounding of its date. Mm. Oh, wow. That's That's Derrida in his essay Shibboleth about Ceylon. And do you know what a shibboleth is?
0: it's something something jewish so i so i should know
1: <laughs> but, but i don't it, yeah so it it really just means password but it's actually like it's it's more complex than that it's actually like a border crossing in language so like a password is a border in language right like you cannot pass unless you know this word a shibboleth in particular though is like the way like if you're not from a particular country you don't know the native pronunciation of something and so if you don't know the native pronunciation that is a shibboleth that lets you know the border patrol know oh. that you don't belong right so oh. it's like this this border in language And Derrida, you know, was, Derrida, he just like breaks language and I don't know. He just, he just be saying stuff.
0: I love Derrida. (laughs) (laughs) I actually really love Derrida, but sometimes I'm just like, girl, what? I, okay. But. Yeah, I have mixed feelings. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, yeah.
1: So I think like he was thinking about the way that salon broke German to essentially like always fail the shibboleth you mm. know and to like it I guess and this is my interpretation if you always fail the shibboleth and you insist on on displacement rather than belonging to something hmm. corrupt but right um, right yeah and like that- I, I don't know It's a cool essay. It's called Shibboleth and it's about like Salon and dating and dates, not like, like Tinder, like (laughs) like, like, dated with poems and like time and how poems sort of create their own time and defy Mm -hmm. time are able to transport us to different times Mm -hmm. and are always inscribed with a certain time. Like Salon famously said, like every poem is inscribed with January 20th
0: my birthday Um, (laughs) basically you're embodying the soul of paul salon right
1: now like i think like we're gonna have a chat when i die i'm gonna be like dude did we know each other like did
0: we like
1: hang out (laughs) did we hang out did we date like so anyway all of those things to say that beast meridian was time travel too right like it was time travel to you know, my childhood, it was time travel to an imagined ancestral underworld. And it was like imagined time travel to a time pre-colonization that I can't conceive of. So I conceived it in the fantastic and that, yeah. So Salon really,
0: Salon is just so great. He just really speaks to me. Okay. Let me get my book. Yeah. I like what you said about the poems creating their own time and that that's really what it's doing. Like you're creating we all know time ain't linear. Okay. But (laughs) you're, you're creating this moment outside of time and also in its own time. I think that's really, that's really fascinating and, and reconstructing the narrative of your ancestors, your childhood in rebuilding it. And also that that's very interesting about what, you said uh, that salon said about in like ins- or actually D- Derrida said about salon insisting on displacement and that but that insistence on displacement is it is a very lonely like even though it it kind of you you regain a sense of power and control over the the oppressive entity that you're you are imposing your displacement on it's it's very lonely, and it's—I mean—he ended up, you know, he was a very sad guy. <laughs> it makes me very sad, but I'm just saying that creating poetry is a very can be a very lonely place, and finding your power in in that insistence, or at least recognizing that displacement is—it—it it takes a lot of courage. Yeah, I think I just want to say, Derrida was just talking about the
1: shibboleth, but. I believe that Salon was always insisting on. Ah, that's what. He,
0: yes, I, I should have known. Like, it was more br- like it was better than. I was like, okay, Jared, I'll give that to him because that's really good. But it was yeah. you. I mean, yeah, because okay. you know, I'm always yeah. gonna
1: read. I'm gonna read rebellion and like you know, like yeah. a sort of fuck you punk ethic into into yeah. everything if I can. So that's Love how it. that's how I see breaking the German, right? Like yeah. and creating new chimera words, right? Like breath crystal. Yeah. Like that will yes. that, you know, I love I love salon. I know.
0: There's you're doing the same thing and in your work. I mean, do you do you kind of that's part of your art, artist statement through these these different assemblies of language of of artifacts and you're you're creating your own language
1: yeah I mean like I I didn't know what I was doing when I was like mashing words together or mm-hmm. writing like I would do this thing where I would write for the rhythm and whatever mm-hmm. word happened to land on the rhythm that I wanted mm-hmm. that like it, it's like a kind of almost like dissociative writing where you're not yeah. writing towards sense you're writing toward sound and like embodied sense yeah. You know, you're writing to the body rather than to the mind. I didn't know what I was doing. And I don't know that Salon was necessarily writing to the body. Like, that's that's something that I think I was just in trying to understand. Because I have a, actually a very ter- terrible memory. I used to have a really great memory. But I think, like, the traumatic brain, like, something happens to yeah. the way you yeah. store memory. And so Absolutely. as time goes on, you know, my memory of the past fragments. But it was already so filled with gaps you know to i guess kind of try to overwrite things that i didn't want to remember and poetry is able to gather those fragments right like you have like the things around the memory are still there even though mm-hmm. the memory mm-hmm. isn't intact anymore and poetry is able to capture those things the poem i i wrote after beast meridian which is function equals root future is like really interested in like how the poem can become a field when you can't tell a linear, you can't write a linear poem and you can't tell a linear story. Like how can you have all of these fragments appear all at once, you know? We can talk about that later.
0: I, I'm incredibly um, interested in that. That is that is a focus of my own work for forever like it's just that's uh, that that non-linear like not yeah how do you how do you encapsulate all of those fragments at once and still create this this narrative but anyways yeah so are you going to read that poem are you going to read I can read that poem
1: it is a family tree that is only matrilineal it is a prime meridian and like a sort of representation of two continents, Europe and, you know, North America in language. And it's also a timeline, you know, like an X, Y axis, you know, where we're dealing with like a futureless past or a disappearing past and real time toward the future. And so you have two sets in math. You know, you have set theory, which I actually I understood when I was writing this poem in like a very abstract, theoretical way. And now I can't remember. Anyway, it works. (laughs)
0: You've written some mathematical theory in a family tree, and oh wow, I mean your your mind is is a brilliant piece of, of work Thank you. I,
1: but, I mean, I, like I said, I think like trauma and grief make yeah, you feel yeah. a little crazy, right? And I think instead of trying to shape language into something like the fragments the fragments want to exist as they are you know and like how can i how can i give them that space on the page so i can read this one instead of something from beast meridian i i would love to read something from beast meridian but like you know how like when you've just like moved on
0: i understand i yeah you're working on new things
1: Okay. Um, Yeah. Since we're talking about salon and fragments and time and how time doesn't exist. Thank you. Okay. So this is function equals root future. Year zero matrilineal equals repeat cycle. Inherit does not exist. Zero equals Garmin. Blooming ranch fields, a throat packed with cotton. No choice but to marry her eldest off to the hoof-beaten storm. Zero equals Angelica. Escape the hoof-beaten storm. Escape the garnet-eyed doctor. Escape the stillborn country that pummels you to rags. Zero equals Sylvia. English synonyms for future. Escape, amnesty, green card, possibility, dream, I promise, I will, I do, pregnant, labor, indebted, hospitalized, soul, provider, burden, loan, insufficient, interest. Zero equals Vanessa. Witness this pattern now cycling into me. Again, lost eddies of time, lost again, I submerge my body in the river of unclaimed memory, swim again to its cervix, and speak into the sea. I did everything I was supposed to do, and still an unbroken line of broken lines. One equals Joaquin. If someone is going to make it out of this dream alive, let it be you unbraiding from me. Let it be that this cord, its arcing line, when viewed from above, is an infinite field. And let the field open for you like a bell, its bend veined with a lace of new stars, and let each new star echo on earth as a blossom, bursting from the black, so that you, born from this blood-dark grief, marbled with error, can still be perfect. Let every good beast carry you in its eye, open with wild knowing. And let every sagging telephone line carry my voice to you when I'm gone, when you're lonely. Are scared and in a sleep soft drift you'll think you hear me in the kitchen and yes there we are again reflected in the bend of the steel spoon the milk still spinning as we lick off the chocolate and there we are again in the rust burnt dusk embers whirling off the mountainside the last sight we'll have of an ocean and yes i'm sorry i am so so sorry what else could i have done To stop the cell from splitting, year one set patrilineal equals new ADT equals timeline D equals discovery. Conquest. Conquest, 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 conquest. Start chronometer. Start collective memory, start archive. Before the ship's arrival, there is no history. Any subject exhibiting any of the following conditions will be removed and denied re-entry into real-time, undocumented, uncivilized, uncontrollable, unskilled, unwell, unaccompanied, unassimilated, uncolonized, unclean, unintelligible, unclaimed, unmarried, unattractive, unbecoming, unemployed, unauthorized, unprofitable, uninsured, underfoot, disabled, disappeared, diseased, disadvantaged, discarded, disassociated, disorder, dissenting, indebted, prehistoric, pre-agricultural, pre-capitalist, pre-discovery, pre-colonial, pre-Christian, primitivity, pre-literate, precarious, prey. Real future function, function times time, discovery times time equals infinity. And after the coral bleaches to bone and the poles thaw and the clouds shatter a searing rain, the SpaceX colony will have already built an electromagnetic wall to border its orbit. And in the field, the bent workers will still scoop tender chard under a burning sky for the empire. And even the mountains will kneel and witness and surrender to the sinking to greet once again that same ancient ocean. And when the last elephant falls, we will know the end of memory. and time will go white and the future white and the past white wiped immaculate of fault all time collapsed into a single line all histories consumed by the official record and its impeccable family lines traced back through the whitened field itself so straight and us broken and broken trees to make way for the future progressing ever forward in a line of suns but any voyage that assumes a forward course will loop to its origin and cross itself and so the compass rose will enclose the world into the shape of a gun sight and when there are no new lands to map in blood how pale will the horse of the last sunrise look underwater learn from this little one time was never a line but a field and you are occurring alongside the past and when I recognize Abuelito's laugh in you Or offer a bending lily to the dead. We are born and born and together again. And every minute I choose you, choose to fight and don't drive off the mountain. I encounter the infinite as the will to survive. Wow.
0: (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Oh my God, Vanessa. That... (laughs) Uh, thank you i, I have like, feelings about elon musk and i don't know <laughs> i saw that spacex in there you know i was just yeah <laughs> i know colonies of oh, those white men on the on Mars and shit you are i keep saying brilliant but i i, I mean I, thank it, you I, I feel it so much in my body and you know, I'll, I there's so much to unpack. We're not going to do like a a close reading of it on this podcast, but I do. If if people want to, that poem is I can actually I can put the link in the show notes when I make show notes. But that's in, in Poetry Magazine or on the Poetry Foundation website. That is a very powerful piece, Vanessa, and we could read another poem that you've decided to share today we'll do that now and then we'll we'll talk about your current projects and future projects
1: yeah before. well okay so i couldn't decide on a salon poem because you know they're all just yeah. like it's like trying oh to we've
0: talked up... about salon you know we've given yeah. salon enough
1: <laughs> um and so like i i was like okay what 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 poets do i think are like in this tradition of writing toward Alienation, the uncanny like writing to to like yeah, like diaspora displacement, and yeah. I actually think Rilke, even though he predates salon, like I think like he was sort of trying to capture that same that same thing, right and I think like do we know elegies they're like these sort of like elegies to nature to you know, I actually don't like love all the elegies, but this this first stanza of the eighth elegy. Is so different from the others because he taps into this other voice, this other, like, spiritual voice. I think poets are channels. I think, like, we, like, yes, we write it as ourselves. But, like, once you get into a state of flow, like, another intelligence takes over. And it's embodied in you. But it's like you're tuned in to a collective unconscious, to a collective memory, to... Or like you're like creating a new site that has been visited before in Absolutely. language. And
0: that's why it, it's sometimes considered like a, a religious, like you can look at poets through a religious lens, right? Because we are these, we we do take on what is beyond us and outside of us and things that we don't necessarily have for all the time, but we are able to channel it using a, a, the very imperfect medium of language to create these create these channels. So anyways that was please yeah. go on. I keep interrupting no, I, I don't
1: No 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 also I can like ramble because I get super excited I about love poetry. It. But...
0: I know. But... And I get exci- I know and I'm getting excited <laughs> listening to you so I'm like yeah and and like religion. <laughs> well <laughs> the poets are I'm like kidding. Jesus. <laughs>
1: Our um, personal Jesus, yeah. Like I, your I, I think, own. It, well, no, you, you've got to bring the no wave into every conversation. Got it. <laughs> um, religious texts are all poems. Like I, I don't exactly, care what exactly. religious text it is. Well, maybe not the Book of Mormon, but like <laughs> <laughs> Joseph yeah, Smith was not
0: a poet. Is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> yeah, he was not a poet. So, like when no. I'm, you know, not feeling like you know whatever poetry book I'm reading, it's like just not feeding what i need it to feed Mm -hmm. i'll like read like you know the tibetan the tibetan book of the dead or like you know like just the bible even like the Psalms Mm -hmm. are like spells they're spells and poems so anyway yeah so the eighth (laughs) elegy this is when rilke was like i think like yeah he just became a different rilke Mm -hmm. here we go the eighth elegy with all its eyes The natural world looks out into the open. Only our eyes are turned backward and surround plant, animal, child like traps as they emerge into their freedom. We know what is really out there only from the animal's gaze for we take the very young child and force it around so that it sees objects, not the open, which is so deep in animals' faces. Free from death, we only can see death. The free animal has its decline in back of it forever, and God in front. And when it moves, it moves already in eternity, like a
0: fountain. That's beautiful. Thank
1: Ain't you. Ain't that some shit? Like that is some shit. That's, like I, I didn't
0: know. Like I hadn't read Rilke for so long, and I didn't. Yeah. I don't think I remember him being like that.
1: <laughs> you know? Well, this is—it's so different from a lot of Rilke's yeah. poems. Like a lot of Rilke's poems are are—I don't know—they're more voicey. They're more, yeah. you yeah. know. And this is like—it feels holy to me. Yeah. And you know, yeah. like a like a an animal that moves in eternity. Like, ah, mm-hmm. oh, I love that image. It's just—it <sighs> anyway. I so. Love that. And also wow. like the idea of the open, right? Like it not you're not saying nature, you're saying the open, like yeah. this uncanny place, right? I... That we re- can recognize as nature or we can recognize as a mystical experience. Yeah. I don't know. It's yes. just, I love, I love yeah. this poem.
0: I love that too. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm excited that this is going to be a place for us to share what's inspiring us. And I was just, you know, you're talking about the mystical, and you, you not mystical. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't Wait, know. Why not it, mystical. Like, I mean, I, actually, I <laughs> like sh- with a K. Danger, like, danger, about- <laughs> danger. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it wouldn't be a Caroline podcast without. Mystical or bestiality dimensions <laughs> of it, but no, I was, I was because you're you're also writing a lot of like cultural criticism and you're inspired by a lot of fantasy and how that kind of plays into your work as well and is is that kind of what you're focused on in your current right at the moment
1: i so my ugh, I shouldn't have done this. I'm actually writing two <laughs> books right now, and it's oh like my head. Oh yeah, it's a hell of a of a trip, you know, writing about the land and colonization and, you know, poem it, I I'm trying to like have fun with these very heavy poems and, and like, you know, find like rediscover or not, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but like so I'm writing this like really heavy book of poems that takes botanical drawings of flowers and sort of appropriates the language of, you know, colonial botany. And, you know, because like the, they would take these expeditions to catalog the flora and fauna and they would use this like very sexualized language to describe the flora and fauna, like the pasiflora, for, for example. It's like this, the sex flower. And, you know, I'm directly linking that language to, you know, the sterilization of Mexican and indigenous and, and Black women, you know, eugenics policies in the U.S. But I'm also writing about divorce and, like, the experience of coming back to love. And so, like, it's, it's like a big project, right, that's, like, centered in a sort of fem- like it's like a feminist eco poetic <laughs> engagement yeah. with the land but it's like too big right now so I need to I need to like chill and not try so hard and just like I think this happened with Beast Meridian. I was like trying to do too much and when I finally just chilled and was like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do some things I need to <laughs> I need to tap back into that but yeah I I think fantasy is actually something I've always loved but never really took seriously until, you know, in the process of divorcing someone for four years, which is just, like, an ungodly amount of time. Divorces should never last that long. But, you know, divorcing someone for four years, it, I, nothing was anchoring me. It Like, writing, poetry, my work, I just, like, couldn't concentrate. Mm -hmm. And fantasy became you know, that religious experience you're talking about with poetry, it's like, it's like I was able to sort of create this more just world, or Mm. inhabit a more just world in fantasy. And it allowed me to escape identities that I was feeling very heavily right like single mother you know like you know it, the, the middle age like divorcee like you know all these things that I was like very sad about finding myself in these identities that on top of the ones I already have right that like felt new and like dead ends or something fantasy like and, and in a time when I couldn't engage my critical brain in my real work or like my academic work it it actually helped me like write toward. What I was trying to write in my dissertation, so, and also there's it's like super fun. like the witcher is a fun game. <laughs> like, I recommend yeah, everyone that. Needs,
0: everyone needs to read Vanessa's essay and the cut about her playing the witcher and this this <laughs> this journey and this it's 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 a really well done piece and and it speaks to it it's very again, it's very powerful and very brave. It's like we anything when we're in that kind of dissociative state and nothing, everything that once anchored us is not working, you know, it's like, cause I've felt that way too, about things that used to work to ground me in, in moments, you know, dealing with, with various uh, traumas and destructive times in life. And yeah, sometimes poetry doesn't do it. (laughs) Sometimes like music for me used to be a very therapeutic thing and, and I have not been able to touch a keyboard or sing for you know like eight months and I just it's it's just one of those things where yeah like I'm taking solace in like improv like niche podcast it's called the teacher's lounge and I just I'm obsessed with it but anyway so so that's like my fantasy world but yeah it opens it up again it's like anything to open it back up and then you can yeah you can rebuild from from that place so there's no shame in any kind of gameplay because god damn it opens (laughs) It, it, you know yeah well and like
1: the fantastic as like as like a an imaginary you know if you you really want to get into like post-structuralism and and lacan which i'm not going to subject it's insufferable but (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm not in grad school anymore. I I've like, like my brain doesn't work in Lacanian anymore. <laughs> no, it, like it, it's like you're just
1: trying to chill, and then here comes a Lacanian. Like
0: you no, know, it's I'm, okay, I'm not- I love it. The, I also miss your your mind and your intelligence, and I just I miss like this is what why I wanted to honestly. Yeah, I, podcast <laughs> listeners, I just wanted to talk to her again because she's so smart, and I miss her a lot. Anyways uh yes
1: so i'm i'm not i'm not like a super lacanian i'm like a wikipedia lacanian but love the honesty um, yeah i mean like sometimes you just gotta you just gotta do shortcuts in in grad school dude but the yeah the fantastic as a sort of way of engaging with the world like we have different Mm -hmm. structures of consciousness we have the imaginary and then we have the fantastic and both produce our reality, right? Like mm-hmm. racial imaginaries, like, you know, for example, the very false imaginary that black men are dangerous, right? Like that right. creates a reality of violence. And the fantastic mm-hmm. is like a reproduction of our reality toward an idealized state. And so it becomes this place of possibility. So like mm-hmm. anything can, can be fantasy. Sex in the city is fantasy. Like, Mm. you know, Yellow Jackets is fantasy. Star Wars is fantasy. I think like anytime we are creating stories or like creating worlds, we are engaging with the fantastic and therefore imagining, right, like a new world and like, yeah, what's possible and like, you know, so I'm interested in in fantasy that way. Like I'm interested in like fantasy proper, right? But like what, how is fantasy bigger and what can it? teach us and and anyway and there's also like no fantasy criticism so i'm just like i
0: that's you do man. i have that's... to write this
1: too?
0: i will write this too God that, just you know <laughs> in all your abundant free time writing two books and you know being a mother and going to school and doing all this i don't know how you do it all and it's i'm just so in awe of you vanessa i just i'm so happy to spend time with you tonight and i i i hope that you've enjoyed (laughs) being my first (laughs) podcast guest because i was just when i thought of doing this i was like v i gotta i gotta you're well you're working on now and in the future and where people can follow you and you know get your get your books and all of that good stuff
1: yeah so my my collection of poems my first book is Beast Meridian with Noemi Press and you can buy it you know at most bookstores I think and online I'm working on a collection of it's like half personal essays and half like Criticism, you know, auto theory kind of stuff was I I sold it under the name Chueca, which means crooked in Spanish when it was more memoiristic. But now that it's sort of taken a turn and I'm incorporating personal material into my criticism, I think I'm going to rename it Magical Realism. So keep an eye out for that. And that will be out in fall of 2023, if I can meet my
0: deadlines. (laughs) You can do it. Yeah, you can do it. (laughs)
1: Very difficult. And I'm also working on a poetry collection called Extinct and Endangered Florae of the Americas, which I sort of talked about a little bit, but it takes a sort of view of the history of science, specifically botanical science, colonialism, history, but also divorce and motherhood and love. And I'm trying to find connective tissue because they are related. So yeah, so that's what I have sort of in the works right. I'm also developing a podcast called Colonial Fantasies and it's it's basically just fantasy criticism, but you know, awesome. it's 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 me being I just want all the smoke. <laughs> with, I love like, it. You know, problematic fantasy. I want all the smoke with Tolkien. So yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I'm working on right now and if I don't write for the Jon Snow spin-off I <laughs> I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. I'm going to uh, yeah, I'm just going to go.
0: Oh my god. I'm going go to I'm gonna be like, "Hi. You have to. You're the one. Yeah, like back in like boulder you you were the one who first introduced me to that show, to Game of Thrones. I think we were watching it and like drinking like Rex Goliath wine. At, <laughs> after drag race. Yes. And uh, yeah. Oh, but so I always associate you with that show. You have to write for that. You have to write. <laughs>
1: I hope so. I'm like, I, I, don't think it's, it's possible. But I'm just so glad it's coming back. But I might yeah. just drive by the HBO building a couple of just, times. Yeah, before. you're like kind of
0: near there, right? Like, <laughs> just drive by and yeah. just be like, hey, hey, yeah, again, build, yeah. yeah. That's all you have to do. Yeah, right? I'll just like bring in coffees.
1: <laughs> like that's what people do, right? In these buildings, yeah. I'll just bring in a bunch of coffee and be like, I, I'm. Just already no, working
0: here. I- yeah I already, here. <laughs> I already work here <laughs> I already work here I to always do that well I'm putting that into the universe you will write for this show <laughs> so but yeah you have so much going on girl and I am so proud of everything you are and are accomplishing and have accomplished and will continue to blossom into and you're becoming and you're just you're such an amazing human and i am just and we'll at least see each other in a writer's reunion cabin that we're going to be going to in in january so maybe we'll record something from that experience because that should be that should be a blast <laughs> so, a lot of, all all those weird poets that we were talking about before all getting back together after 10 years so and weirder
1: uh, somehow weirder, oh, we're all weird yeah more awkward but still no one has aged so i, yes. I, don't, know. <laughs> I don't know we're,
0: we're vampire
1: <laughs> poets <laughs> yeah
0: exactly oh well it's so good to see and hear you and so thank you for sharing your journey and amazing work
1: thank you for having
0: me Okay. (laughs) Thanks everyone for listening. Bye.